1: Jesus very purposefully prays for himself, but he also prays for his disciples, the one that he's leaving behind. But you know that also in John 17, he's praying for you and I. He says, and I pray for all of those who will come to me after hearing their words, the words of the disciples. So he's praying for us even then. And even right now, the word says, even as he's standing with the Father, that he is ever interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us now. Jesus was a man of prayer. And you think, well, gosh, the relationship that he had with the Father, did he really need to pray? And apparently he did. And so if he had that kind of relationship with God and he needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray? There are certain truths in the Bible that are fairly common knowledge to Christians.
0: But it never hurts to repeat them and remind ourselves of the reasons behind them. One of those truths is that prayer is vital to our walk with God. Pastor David shares this truth again in today's message, but also points out that Jesus, the Son of God, and probably the only person to walk the earth with that direct connection to God, prayed frequently. If Jesus needed to pray, and still prays, then we should find it absolutely necessary. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Effective Prayer.
1: Well, we are in chapter 11 of the gospel according to Luke. And if you've been with us for a while as we've gone through this, you know that right now they, Jesus and his disciples and a group of many others are now literally making their way from the Galilee area down to Jerusalem. This is the last journey of Christ to Jerusalem. We know that all along that way, Jesus has been teaching, he's been encouraging, he's been sharing with his disciples that once he gets to Jerusalem, he would be arrested, he would be crucified and buried, but to take courage because he would raise again on the third day. He's told them this multiple times on multiple occasions, and yet they still didn't get it. They just did not get it. As a matter of fact, they didn't get it until after the resurrection. And then it was kinda like, oh, that's what you meant when you said that you were going to die and be buried and raise again on the third day, that you were gonna die and be buried and you'd raise again the third day. Then they finally got it. They were a little dense like some of us. Well, okay, like I am sometimes. Well, it's here in Luke 11, during those last few days of the earthly ministry of Christ that we read these words. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass. Again, we don't know exactly when this was. Was it right after the time of, that he spent with Mary and Martha? And remember, there at the end of chapter 2, where Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, Martha was busy working and, and taking care of things. Was it right after that or sometime after? We don't know. Do believe that it's near the end of his ministry. It says, Now it came to pass as he, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Apparently, that one disciple who was speaking to him, they, they had seen, they, they had perhaps even heard the Lord praying, and they recognized that his prayers didn't even come close to the communication uh, of, of normal people. Can you imagine being there and hearing Jesus pray? to his father. Can you imagine that that communication, that relationship that was there? Now, y- you've all heard people pray at different times and you know how some people you you hear them pray and it just seems like, well, I don't think that got higher than the ceiling, you know. They just kind of mumbled a few words and it was done. And then there's other people that perhaps you've had the opportunity to to hear someone pray and man, heaven comes down. You, you, you can feel, man, just again, that connection that they have with the Lord. It's a real, it's a living, it's a vibrant connection that they have with the Lord. Well, I don't believe that even that can compare to hearing Jesus pray. And I believe that disciple heard something and said, Lord, teach me how to pray. Because whatever way I've been praying before, it ain't nothing like that. Teach us to pray. The best understanding that we have is that this one that's requesting this lesson in prayer probably was not with them in the earlier part of Jesus' ministry. Some say he might have been among those of the 70 that were sent out earlier in chapter 10. We just don't know. But we do know that earlier on in the ministry of Christ, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the situation at the time called the Sermon on the Mount— that during that time, Jesus spoke and said, when you pray, this is the way you want to pray. There's a way, a method of praying. And he shared with them what we know, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Where What we see here in Luke is actually kind of a shortened version of it. As a matter of fact, here in Luke, beginning in verse two, we hear, he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus goes on in the next several verses to teach them how God responds to our prayers, Prayer was an important part of the life and the ministry of Jesus. We understand that. As a matter of fact, Luke in his gospel record gives more instances of Christ praying than any of the other gospel writers. Uh, And I'm certain that Luke didn't write down all the times that Jesus prayed. We know that if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, the volumes couldn't contain all of those things. But just from what we see in Luke, we know that Jesus was a man of prayer. Sometimes we find out that he rises well before daylight, early, early in the morning, while everyone else is sleeping. He goes to a solitary place, praying and quietly communing with the Father. Sometimes we have the records of the words that he prays, the very words that he used as he communed with the Father. The Apostle John, in in John's gospel record, if we were to take the time, we could look at John chapter 17, and this is what's called the, the Lord's high priestly prayer. And Here we have many of the words that he spoke during that prayer. And in that prayer, understand that in John chapter 17, it's the night of his betrayal. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He's only hours of being uh, arrested and then put on trial and crucified. And in John 17, we see that Jesus very purposefully prays for himself but he also prays for his disciples, the one that he's leaving behind. But you know that also in John 17, he's praying for you and I. He says, and I pray for all of those who will come to me after hearing their words, the words of the disciples. So he's praying for us even then. And even right now, the word says, even as he's standing with the Father, that he is ever interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us now. Jesus was a man of prayer. And you think, well, gosh, the relationship that he had with the Father, did he really need to pray? And apparently he did. And so if he had that kind of relationship with God and he needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray? Amen? Amen. Okay, okay. Most of you understand that. Okay. As we look at the concept of prayer, we need to understand that prayer itself, it's a personal and it's a private thing. But also at the same time, it can be public and and corporate. There's both of those kinds of prayers that we see throughout the scripture, throughout the gospel records, throughout Acts, throughout the letters to the churches. We see these prayers coming out of different ways, prayers that are private and personal, but also prayers that are public and corporate. We need both of them. They need to be lifted up. We see it evident in the life of Jesus. Some of the prayers that he prayed were recorded while others were not. We know that he was in a time of prayer and we don't know what he was praying at that point in time. Some of his prayers were private. Some of his prayers, though, they were public. But even in those public and corporate times, we need to remember who we're praying to. You ever in a place and somebody starts praying, you think, he's not praying, he's preaching. Uh, you, know, you know, he's preaching with his eyes closed. Now, I, as a pastor, I, I have to be very cognizant of that. I've been guilty of that. You know, at the close of a service, you start praying to the Lord, and and pretty soon you kind of slip into preaching while you're praying. And you wait a minute, no, this isn't to you. This is to God that I'm praying. As a matter of fact, when Lyndon Baines Johnson was president of the United States, Bill Moyers was his press secretary, and one day during a staff luncheon. Uh, Bill Moyers was praying for the meal, and as he's praying, uh, President Johnson, he shouts out, he says, Bill, Bill, speak up, I can't hear you. And Bill Moyers didn't even lift his head, and he said, that's because I wasn't speaking to you, Mr. President. (laughs) We need to have focused prayers. When we pray, wherever we pray, public or private, corporate or public, we need to be focused on who we're praying to. We pray in a public place and in a public setting and we pray out loud. We don't need to pray to impress anyone except God. And by the way, we don't need to impress God. We just need to be open to him and honest before him. As powerful as that prayer in John chapter 17 is, that's not the one that people say, well, that's the Lord's prayer, no. the Lord's Prayer is the one that they look at. It's like the one that's here found in in Luke chapter 11, but the longer version of it is actually in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's version was, again, as I said, during that early part of the ministry of Jesus. And they call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer. Actually, I want you, because everything that's In this prayer in Luke chapter 11 is actually in that prayer that's found in Matthew chapter 6. Let's turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Just turn to your left a couple of blocks and you'll end up in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, the prayer that Jesus gives there, I'd like to look at it with you. As a matter of fact, before we get there, I want to back up just a little bit. Look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. Verse five, again, Jesus speaking to his disciples on that Sermon on the Mount time. And in Matthew six, verse five, he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. These proud, loud, boastful public prayers that they would make. Verse six, though, Jesus goes on, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now you need to understand that Jesus isn't discounting or disallowing corporate or public prayer at this point in time. He simply wants to make sure that it's done in the right manner and focused on the right person and for the right reason. Focused on God Himself and for the reason of communicating to God, not trying to impress those that are around you. Our prayers need to be that personal communication with the one who not only hears our prayers, but he is the one and only one who can answer our prayers. We need to be focused. In that same passage, Jesus goes on, verse seven. He says, And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do. I mean, know many in the new age right now, they they have mantras that they repeat over and over and over and over and over again. He says, you don't need these vain repetitions. Or perhaps you grew up in a tradition, a church tradition, where uh, there are certain prayers that you prayed over and over and over again. I see in my word that Jesus says, don't use these vain repetitions. That's what the heathen do. He says, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words Therefore, don't be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So in this manner, therefore, pray. And then it's at this point that he shares with them this model prayer. It's, he gives to them again. These words that I know that for some of you, you, you grew up and this might've been the, the normal Sunday liturgy. You said the Lord's prayer or this model prayer every Sunday as you came to church. For some of you, maybe in your own personal prayer life, you repeat this and you use this. It's probably very, very familiar to most all of you. But when we look at this, we need to understand it, it wasn't made just for repetition. Repetition. The words you're really familiar with. As a matter of fact, we're, you, you can repeat it with me if you would. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay. How many of you are trespassers and how many of you are debtors? Pretty much it means the same thing. Okay. Just depends upon what you grew up with. When we look at these two prayers that are listed, the the Luke 11 and the Matthew chapter six, we see great similarities, but they're not exact. And in both places, Jesus is helping them to understand, well, teach me to pray. Teach me how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. And yet he does not give an exact model on both of them. I mean, that right there ought to help us to understand that it is just a a form or an outline. It's not the exact thing that we have to to repeat. Warren Weersby he points out that there's nothing wrong with praying this prayer personally or as part of a congregation, so long as you do it from a believing heart that is sincere and submitted. How easy it is to recite these words and not really mean them. But that can happen even when we sing or preach. The fault lies with us and not with this prayer. Spoke to a couple after the service last night. They said, yeah, my wife and I, we we pray that every morning as part of our devotions. We also pray other things. I said, man, that's fine because as long, again, as long as you know what the words are saying and you're meaning those words, it's wonderful. It's not wrong to repeat this prayer. But if this is the only prayer that you pray, then it's really not very personal. And and personally, I believe that your prayer life is probably woefully lacking if this is the only prayer that you pray. Again, we look at this, if it's a memorized prayer, you need to understand also, memorized prayers, they quickly become meaningless prayers. Prayers of repetition become powerless prayers. And prayers that come only from the head, they don't touch the heart of God. You see, it's when our heart is communicating with the heart of God. That's where we make that connection. When we look at the model prayer, the first thing we notice is the focus on God and not on man. He says there, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in our prayers, we need to begin with God's interests And not our own. Those things that bring honor to his name and to his kingdom. Over and over again in that John 17 passage, we read the words of Jesus as he prays and he speaks, Father, O Father, Holy Father, Righteous Father. The focus of his prayer was on the Father, making certain that in everything that he's asking, Lord, this is toward you and it's to you. It declares the greatness of who God the Father is. He is our Father. Father in heaven, reigning and ruling over all of his creation. We want to acknowledge that when we pray, he is the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. He is the one who knows our needs before we even ask them. He is the one capable to answer our prayers. In the time period of Jesus's life and ministry, the spoken language was Aramaic. The Aramaic word that Jesus used for father was the word Abba, A-B-B-A. It's that intimate word that, again, a young child in the Middle East would use to address his human father. As a matter of fact, you go to the Middle East now, and at times you can even hear young children playing, and they'll cry out to their earthly father. They'll call him Abba. By using that word, Jesus was teaching that God is a loving Father, one that, again, we as his children, we can have complete confidence in. The kingdom is the kingship or rule of God that his children long to see established completely and eternally. We as his children come to him. He as Abba Father, we want to be a part of all that he's doing. So Jesus' focus, again, he focuses on the Father. And the Father, God the Father, ought to be the focus of our prayers. His name should be honored, recognized, and treated, sacred and holy. His name, by the way, his name isn't an expletive. And so often we hear his name used in such ways, it's downright blasphemous. And the sad thing is, is I even hear that in Christians using the name of God in, almost as an expletive. You ever hear somebody say, oh, God, even as a Christian? And you stop and think, now, wait a minute. Are you really calling out to God? Or are you using his name in the same way that someone would say, oh, dang it, or worse, as the case may be? You see, his name ought to be honored. His name ought to be sacred to us. We don't use it in that way. Secondly, we see a focus on the plans, the purposes, on the will of the Father over our own will. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It was a standard Jewish prayer of that day at the close of the synagogue meetings that uh, they would say the prayer, exalted and hallowed be your name and may your kingdom come speedily and soon. See, there's a recognition for the Jews of that time. There ought to be a recognition for you and I as Christians of this time that it is all about God's kingdom. It's all about his will being done, not our own. When and only when we surrendered to, we ourselves have surrendered to, we ourselves have sought after God's perfect will in our lives and in the lives of others. It's only then that we ought to feel that freedom to be able to come and make our requests to him first of all, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to reign and rule. I want you to be honored and blessed above all things. And then I can come and make my petition. I I can come and ask him for the things. And the word says that we should be asking him. We should be casting every care on him because he does care for us. We shouldn't be worrying about Anything but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to him. He wants us to pray, he wants us to come and bring and all of our cares, all of our concerns, and yes, all of our desires to him. But first and above all else, gang, we need to understand it's your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your will be done in my life before anything else. He says. Once we come to that point, then we can say, give us this day our daily bread. And again, the words in Aramaic, they speak to a request of a day-by-day substance. It's the sense of the bread that's necessary for our existence. It's the physical things that we have need of. It's the concept of asking God to give us today what we need for today. And you know what? That then requires a whole new request come tomorrow. That means I've got to go back to him tomorrow because I want you to supply what I need today. And if tomorrow comes, I'm going to come back and I want to be in his presence again. I'm going to ask again. And the next day after that. It calls for us to continually come back into his presence. We see this elsewhere in the teachings of Jesus. Later on in the same passage in Matthew 6, We read where Jesus continues on in his instructions to his disciples and he tells them down in verse 31, he says, therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It's after these things that the Gentiles are seeking. Your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you.
0: We can all remember the marketing campaign WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliche, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what he did do when he was here on Earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need.
1: Life these days moves fast from one appointment to the next. Most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to theopenword.com and click on the teachings page.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to theopenword.com and select the teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us